Hello, everyone, and welcome to the United City Greensboro podcast, a church in the heart of Greensboro with a desire to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. You can learn more about our community at unitedcitygso.com. Enjoy today's teaching. Let's go ahead and jump into the scriptures uh, really quickly. My approach to my talk today is going to be very unique, so just be prepared for kind of my uh, meandering through our teaching time this morning. Uh, Let's go to Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3. Hopefully you have a Bible. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, we'll give you one for free out front. Um, Also, again, if you're new, we'd love to connect with you out front at our Connect table and uh, get to know your story and who you are and and, um, be able to answer any questions that you might have, provide next steps as well for you. So Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3. It says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Now, let's go to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. And you can use the table of contents. There is no shame in using the T-O-C. Habakkuk. Some of you are like Habakkuk. It's Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Chapter 3, verse 2. I still hear pages turning, so I'll wait just a moment to let you get there. Some of you are like, I'm not using the table of contents. I'm getting there on my own. The prophet Habakkuk. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. This is the word of the Lord. As Jay just mentioned, we as the global church across the world have embarked on the Lenten season. This past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, and it launched us into this global season known as Lent. And by the way, our Ash Wednesday imposition of ashes was phenomenal. What a way to kind of walk slowly into the Lenten season. Uh, It was phenomenal. And those of you who participated, I think, would say the same. The word Lent, in case you are curious, the word Lent is Latin for long day. It means long day. It is a waiting season. It's a season that is 40 days long, excluding the Sundays. Now keep in mind, in this season of fasting, Sunday is referred to as a feast day. So it's technically 46 days, but we don't count Sundays because they're feast days. So you can feast whatever it is that you're fasting from on Sundays. But the rest of the season is 40 days, and it is mirroring Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness where he is tempted by the devil. And that moment is mirroring the 40 years that the Israelites spent in the wilderness in the Old Testament coming out of slavery. Lent is marked by a couple of things. Fasting, as we already mentioned, but also repentance and reflection. Repentance and reflection. It is a season to acknowledge our humanity. It's a season to acknowledge our mortality. 
It's a season to acknowledge our brokenness as humans, that we are in need of a divine and redemptive Savior, that we need healing. We've said before that the liturgical calendar is kind of marked in this rhythm of waiting and celebrating and manifesting. And here we are now in Lent, which is a season of waiting, much like Advent leads us up to Christmas. Lent leads us up to Easter. Now, two years ago, 2020, right around this time, COVID-19 ushered the entire globe into the wilderness overnight. The modern thought that humans have control over nature was exasperated and debunked. Just as we thought we were coming out of the COVID wilderness here recently and moving on toward better days and the quote-unquote roaring 20s, because that's what came after the Spanish flu in 1918, was what? The roaring 20s. It's a party for a decade. We thought we were coming out of this global pandemic. And then we find out that Russia attacks Ukraine. And it seems as though we are going in reverse Instead of the roaring 20s, we are back at 1914 and what feels like the brink of World War III. Humans thought we had control over nature, as I mentioned. That's been exposed. Humans thought in modernity that we had control over human nature as well. And that myth has also been exposed. All of this exposure has come in the middle of the Lenten season. Two years ago, COVID began when? In the Lenten season. Where are we now with this war that's breaking out in Ukraine? The Lenten season. A global wilderness. And even in 2022, we stand in awe of our frailty in our brokenness, in our depravity, in need for healing and redemption. We are in need, friends, all of us across the world, especially in the modern West, for a fresh move and release of the Spirit of God. In need. Not a want anymore. We are in dire need of a release of the Spirit. We have today arrived at the final chapter of our eight-week teaching series on the Holy Spirit, looking at the person, presence, and power of the third person of the Trinitarian community of God. We've examined who he is and what he does, all the while seeking to experience his tangible glory and manifest presence. Keep in mind the word glory means weight. It also means splendor, but it can really mean weight. And my hope is that when we gather together as the people of God on Sunday morning, that there is a weight in the room. That's glory. That's tangible presence. That's manifest presence. We have been seeking this glory over the last few weeks and want to continue to, but we've been intentional trying to examine who is this quote-unquote forgotten God in the language of Francis Chan. But today, we wrap it all up 
And I want to talk to all of you about revival, renewal, and the outpouring of the Spirit. And I want you to also know, give me some grace, because I'm very passionate about this subject. I'm very pumped about today, have been since the beginning of the teaching series. And so, it's going to be a little bit of a ride. I need you to bear with me, lock it in, and we're going to see what God wants to do this morning. Cool? Yeah? Okay. All right. The affirmation in the room is diminishing. Renewal is God's strategy for moving history towards his ends, which is ultimately new creation. We see this picture in Revelation 21 and 22 of new creation. And renewal is God's process or his strategy by way of his presence. Presence is the means and presence is the end goal. And he is all the while renewing creation, ultimately moving us towards a new heaven and a new earth. Now, my talk this morning is a little bit different than normal, and some of you who are wanting some sort of deep, exegetical, expository sermon from a text of the scriptures, that's not happening today. I can do that. I love to do that. But that's not happening today. Okay? So, if you want me to exegete the scriptures, we can do that on the side, and we can talk about it. That's totally fine. We can talk about the Greek and the Hebrew. I love all that. It's fine. But not today. All right? Cool with me? Okay, sweet. If you're not cool, sorry. Um, there's, there's a couple passages that I read earlier that are kind of anchoring for us in this talk. The first is a promise. Isaiah 44.3. A promise. Okay? Isaiah 44.3 is this promise. For I will pour water on the thirsty land. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. There's, there's a promise underneath that from the Lord. The second thing is a prayer or an ask or a petition from the prophet Habakkuk. Do it again, Lord. Repeat your deeds in our time. The word repeat can also mean revive or renew your deeds in our time. Now, I want you to understand something, too, about the Habakkuk prayer. The book of Habakkuk is coming kind of on the heels of a revival in Israel under King Josiah. And it's happening right before the Israelites go into exile in Babylon. And there's a couple of key characters that we see in the book of Daniel in Babylonian exile. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Which, by the way, that's their Babylonian names. Their Hebrew names are Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And you also see Daniel as well. These four guys who are resilient followers of Yahweh in the midst of a pagan society. And you wonder why or how are they so resilient. And I believe it's because they're coming out of a revival in Israel under King Josiah. And Habakkuk is a prophet who's starting to see some decline leading to this exile. And he's praying out to God, do it again in our time, Lord. Do it again. Repeat your deeds in our time. So that's kind of our prayer. That's our, our hope that we're clinging to as the people of God. Now the chain link between these two passages, as I mentioned a second ago, is God's presence. 
It's God's Holy Spirit. And it's the outpouring of the Spirit. Pouring out on dry ground. As it says in Isaiah 44, 3. Resulting in what Jesus calls in Matthew 19, 28, the renewal of all things. The renewal of all things. God's presence is renewing or reviving all things. Not just you, not just me, but all of creation. He is renewing all things. But keep in mind, at some point this year, probably, more than likely, we we will do a more in-depth teaching series on the process of renewal. But I want to kind of just lay some high-level, as best I can, groundwork for the process of renewal. But before we do that, we need to define a few terms. We need to define a few terms. The first is the word regeneration. Go ahead, write it down. Regeneration. Regeneration is seen all through the scriptures. We really see this in the New Testament especially. And the Greek word means new genesis. Okay? Palin genesia is the Greek word. It means new genesis. Regeneration. This is where we get the idea of being born again. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago with the baptism of the Spirit, being made new by the Spirit of God. We are regenerated. We are made new. We are essentially a new generation by way of the Spirit. This happens when the Spirit of God indwells you and indwells me as followers of Jesus and as born-again, quote-unquote, Christians, made new or regenerated. Okay? The second is the word restoration. Restoration. So we have regeneration, and then we have restoration. And restoration is the process of sanctification or transformation in a made new believer. This is the transformation of the heart. This is the journey that we've been invited on by Jesus, where he crafts us by way of his spirit. He molds us and shapes us. And in the language of Hebrews chapter 6, moves us on toward maturity or completeness or wholeness. Remember we talked a few weeks ago that salvation is a process that involves both justification and sanctification. Restoration is that process. We are made new, but then we are restored over time, to, to be made in the to be made more pure in the image of God. When you go and read Hebrews, one of the things you realize is that you can be a regenerated, made new, saved, quote unquote, Christian, and still get off track. And still miss out. And still need a wake-up call. That's what Hebrews is really all about talking about our faith being shipwrecked and the call to move towards maturity. I believe many of us, friends, in this room have not made it past regeneration. Because we've been taught that all we've got to do is pray a prayer, get in the door, and boom, you're done, good, you're going to go to heaven when you die. And you hold on for dear life until that happens. It's not the teachings of Jesus, nor is it the teachings of the New Testament. Some of us need a wake-up call. We need to be awakened and restored 
in our heart, and in our mind. So we see these first two kind of words, regeneration and restoration. The third is the word revival. Revival. And it's here where we move from personal experience to communal or corporate experience of the Spirit of God. When the Spirit is regenerating or He is restoring a community, He is bringing forth revival. Now, I realize some of you hear the word revival and you have already a mental picture of what that is and means. And I'm going to blow it up this morning. Revival, if you want a definition of revival, revival is the accelerated work of the Spirit. It's the accelerated work of the Spirit within the church or within a church. You catch that? It is an accelerated work of the Spirit within a church or within the church. Some even use the word reform. But I prefer the word revival. And we see this idea of reviving all in the scriptures. To bring what was once alive that has been dead back to life. James says that faith without works is what? Dead. That means that you can have faith and it not be alive. The Spirit can be grieving in your heart. The Spirit can be quenched in your heart. The Spirit in the community can be grieved. The Spirit in the church can be quenched. And I believe that we are in a moment of reckoning in the Western church. And have been since 2020. The church in the West has been in rapid decline since the 1960s. Rapid decline. And we're like, oh no, what's going to happen to the church? But listen, this is when revival usually happens. And we'll come back to this in just a moment. There is a desert in Chile in South America that's called the Atacame Desert. Many folks refer to this as the driest place on earth. NASA actually will send astronauts to go to the Atacama Desert to prepare for going uh, into outer space. But just a few years ago, in 2015, they experienced this natural phenomenon called a super bloom. A super bloom. Where in a matter of a few months, seven years worth of rain was poured out on this desert. And flowers started to bloom from the earth. A natural phenomenon. This is what it looked like in 2015. Purple flowers everywhere because of a fresh outpouring of rain. This is the picture of revival. This is the picture of communal restoration. Something that seems dead and dry is brought to life and becomes beautiful once again. Keep in mind, these seeds existed below the surface. You have seed in your heart, but you need outpouring of the Spirit to break through maybe that dry ground that's in there. You might have a hard heart. You might have a calloused heart. 
But God can accelerate his spirit and pour himself out in such a way that beauty and and the sense of bloom comes forth from what you would not expect it to come out of. It can happen over a period of time. Psalm 85 verse 6 says, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Will you not revive us again, God? Yahweh? Like we're not even going to rejoice until you revive us again. This is our plea. This is our cry when it comes to revival. Will you not revive us again? Now, here's where I'm going to blow your understanding of revival away. And you're going to walk away, hopefully change, and have a different perspective on revival. Revival is not a planned three-night gathering. You do not go to revival. I don't care if there's a tent meeting and it's 100 degrees outside. You do not go to revival. You don't plan revival. Now you can prepare and you can seek God and you can worship and you can beg and plead and contend, but you can't plan for rain to be poured out. You can't create it. It is not a three-night event. It is a process of restoring a community to the essence of what it means to be the people of God. It is, as the writer John speaks of in Revelation, as a return to our first love. I got up this morning and I read the verse of the day in the YouVersion app. It was from from Joel chapter 2. Return to me, Lord, return to me again. This call of repentance. Come with fasting and weeping and mourning. Return to me. This is the essence of revival. It is a repentance, a return. And it's marked usually by four things. I'm going to walk through these with you all this morning. Four things historically revival is often marked by. The first thing is a return to discipleship. It's a return to discipleship. More specifically, I believe it's a return to the scriptures. It's actually a return to orthodoxy. It's a return to right teaching. It's a return to being sold out as students and apprentices of Rabbi Jesus. It's not showing up to events. It's not being a good volunteer. It is returning to the essence of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. More specifically, it is a return to the scriptures. Where we read the scriptures and look at our moment and go, ah, something's off. A.W. Tozer says this, prayer is never an acceptable substitute for obedience. The sovereign Lord accepts no offering from his creatures that is not accompanied by obedience. To pray for revival while ignoring or actually floating the plain precept laid down in the scriptures is to waste a lot of words and get nothing for our trouble. If you're not walking in obedience and praying for revival, it's not going to come. The call is... To seek revival is to pray and obey. 
It is marked by discipleship and obedience to Jesus. The second thing is a return to fellowship. A return to koinonia. To partnership. Or to covenant community. Can I share with you an honest critique of our moment in the Western church? Something that really grates my nerves. Grates my nerves. Is how easy it is for us to pull ourselves out of the local church. To just one day go, yep, I'm not really going to be a part of it anymore. We are quicker to pull ourselves out of the family of God, a local covenant community, than our CrossFit membership. You know why? Because I think we've made the cost way too low. Every community that has high buy-in has high cost. Go look at sororities and fraternities on campus. They are bought in. They wear the gear. You know, new student orientation. They're the ones out there passing out flyers. They're pumped, thrilled. And guess what? It costs money to be in Greek life. It grates my nerves that we are so quick to just dip out of covenant community. Being totally honest. I think if Jesus were to return, Paul were to return, the apostles were to return, and see this kind of go here, there, moving around every couple of years, different church, check it out, you know. They'd be like, what is this, guys? This was not what we experienced in the first few decades. Covenant community. Now, this is a Western issue. This is not an issue in the eastern part of the world. It's not an issue. You know why? It's a conflict zone over in the eastern part of the world. You've got to have each other. So revival is marked by a return to discipleship and fellowship. The third thing is a return to holiness. Ooh, scary word for most of us. Holiness. This is devotion to God and his purposes. This is to say, no longer am I going to be more formed by the culture than by the spirit and presence of God laid before us in the scriptures. It is a return to holiness. Every major revival throughout church history has been marked by a radical call to holiness. Devotion to God. Being set apart for his purposes. The fourth thing is a return to peacemaking or restorative justice. To actually do what Jesus did. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Care for the poor. Speak up for those who are experiencing injustices in our world, in our society. All across the board, no matter what it is. Racism, human trafficking, prostitution, homelessness. Abortion, drugs, opioid crisis, you name it, to speak up and to seek peace, to make wholeness, to make shalom, to be peacemakers. The first century of the church was marked by being a peacemaking community. We have to be ones who seek restorative justice. And all of this is by the power of the Spirit. Mark Sayers says revival is actually when nominal believers are wholly given over to God. It's not just when a ton of new people come to know Jesus. That might be part of it. But it's actually when nominal believers 
And some of us in this room are nominal. It is when we are wholly given over to God. Now, often you can smell of revival. You can get a sense that revival may be on the horizon. You can catch a glimpse of revival. But you don't know revival happened until after it happened. You can't know you have been brought back to life until you have been brought back to life. I don't know that John Wesley and his band knew what was happening across the world in the 18th century. The largest known revival in the Western world. I don't think he knew it. They were just obedient and seeking God and doing what Jesus did. You don't necessarily know the revival is happening until it happens. You can get a sense of it and get a glimpse of it, but we don't know until it actually comes. As I said a second ago, revival is not something that is planned. We don't put revival in the calendar. Revival is not a conference. Seeking God, sure. Worshiping, sure. But revival is not something that is planned. But primarily is defined by prayer led obedience in the unseen places. Revival's being stirred right now in places that are not seen. Revival's not usually front and center. It's not usually in the lights. It's in the, 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 the secret places where revival is being stirred. So there's kind of our understanding of revival. The next is renewal. The next move communally is renewal. Now, sometimes these words get interchanged and become synonymous. I think they're a little bit different. Renewal is when revival goes viral and into a community, culture, and region, and ultimately into the entire world. So when revival within a local community, a local church, expands beyond the four walls, so to speak, and goes into a community, culture, and region, then we begin to see and experience renewal. Renewal is when the presence of God brings new life into all of the created order, all spaces of society, all spaces of our culture, every facet of an economy and place. This includes both people and structures. But keep in mind that the renewal process requires the removal of the old, a pruning a demoing process. We can't experience renewal and revival without some sort of pruning, without some sort of demo process. The Spirit comes in, the Spirit starts knocking down walls, starts ripping up carpet, getting the asbestos out of there, getting the termites gone. It requires a pruning. 2020, friends, launched us into a pruning season. And exposed our idols. And our prayer has been, let's just get back to normal. No, 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 no. Let's go through this process because without it, we won't experience renewal or revival. We have to go through this pruning process. But it must be noted, and this is very important, that the renewal of all things starts with the renewal of the human heart. Communal renewal does not happen apart from the human heart. 
every revival and renewal movement is usually traced back to one or two individuals who had what social psychologist Roy Ballmeister called a crystallization of discontent. Crystallization of discontent. Every single renewal movement. There was a revival that took place around the 1940s in the Hebrides Islands in the northern part of the UK. This this massive outpouring of the Spirit. And do you know just a few years prior to that outpouring, there was two old ladies that were seeking and praying and asking and believing that God was sending revival. So much so, they called for Duncan Campbell, an evangelist, to come because they're like, God's about to send revival. There was no young people in their church, and they're like, we got to see some young people come to know Jesus. People, listen, people in the Hebrides revival literally experienced the manifest presence of God on their way to gatherings. They were experiencing the glory of God falling out on their way to the gathering. It was radical. There are moments all across history where you can see revival. Right now, the largest revival happening in the world is in the Middle East. There is a massive revival happening within the church, within the Middle East, led by Middle Eastern women. Fascinating. So we can't just go, oh, yeah, the church is really just, man, we're struggling. In the West, sure, but revival's happening across the world. It's happening now. I just read this past week of someone who's affiliated with um, Baptist church planting in the Ukraine, and they were talking about how we are ready and prepared to go underground. 70% of Ukraine is Christian. And I saw pictures this week of folks in a circle huddled in prayer. And they're, they're saying with boldness, we are ready and prepared to go underground. We've done it before. We'll do it again. It all is traced back, though, to one or two individuals who have this crystallization of discontent. The power of God falls on people. The fire sets people aflame. Corporate revival is always preceded by personal revival. Stop praying for corporate revival if you're not experiencing revival. We can't ask for God to do something in the world that we won't let him do to us. We pray for injustice and we live lives often that are contributing to injustice. Look at some of the clothes you buy and where they come from. They are aiding the human trafficking movement across the world. We don't think about that, though. We don't talk about it. I go to H&M all the time. We don't realize because we live in echo chambers and silos often, curated by digital media. We have to first look within and experience our own revival. As a matter of fact, most stories of people contending for revival, praying for revival, come to a place where they realize the very thing they are contending for has not been made manifest in their own life yet. The very things that we ask for God to change in the world are often the very things that need to be first changed in our own heart and mind. I am convicted by that personally. Convicted by that. The Spirit of God first is poured out in our hearts before it is poured out into the world. Psalm 51 gives us a prayer. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew 
There it is. Renew or revive a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from what? Your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Listen, revival often is a restoration of joy. Of going, oh man, the Father's love? What? I'm blown. I have so much joy. Death has been defeated. I have eternal life now. We have eternal life now. It's a restoration of joy. To that end, Christine Kane says, you are the revival you're praying for. You are the revival you're praying for. You want to see revival happen in society. Ask yourself, what revival is happening in my own heart? Now, we're going to quickly walk through this map or this process of renewal that we can see throughout church history. Mark Sayers, who's a phenomenal social commentator and writer and kind of um, renewal expert, provides a wonderful paradigm to see how renewal movements usually take place. So please, would you enjoy the graphic on the screen as we move through this over the next couple of minutes? All right? So the first thing we have to notice when renewal movements usually happen is it always is in the middle of some sort of decline. Some sort of social decline, some sort of decline within the church. It could be the moral fabric even of the church. It could be hypocrisy. It could be just the pagan society. There is some sort of decline. Okay? Well, we feel like, man, it's just, it's over at this point. Like, there is no turning back. And then... There is some sort of crisis, some sort of global crisis, local crisis that takes place right around this decline. Keep in mind, this paradigm he wrote about in 2019. This book was released about seven months prior to COVID-19, a crisis moment in society. The second thing that takes place after this sort of crisis, is this holy discontent. One or two people experience a discontentment where they go, I've had enough. I've had enough of the direction that we're going. I am not doing anything else but committing the rest of my life to praying for and seeking revival and renewal in my time. One or two people experience this holy discontent where it crystallizes. It doesn't go away. It's like you're backed into a corner and you're like, I can't go anywhere, but experience revival. The second thing is preparation. There's a preparation phase. Mark Sayers says that sometimes God will delay revival breakthrough to send us deeper into his will. For if breakthrough comes too early with its accompanying fruits, we may not be spiritually mature enough to tend God's harvest. You know why revival might not come? Because you might not be mature enough to handle it. And I'll be honest, Westerners, we over-exaggerate our spiritual maturity. We over-exaggerate it, we overestimate it. And many of us are not mature enough to handle the harvest that could come when revival is present. Preparation is a pruning season. 
It's a sanctifying time. It's looking at your life and going, what needs to go? What in society has got to go? What inside my heart has got to go? It's the wilderness. It's the wilderness. What launched Jesus' ministry? 40 days in the wilderness. It's preparation. The next phase is contending. This is praying. This is seeking God. This is asking. This is begging. This is praying promises of God. This is praying like Habakkuk did. Do it again in our time, Lord. You have to. We're begging you. There's no other option. Pour out your spirit, God. Contending, fighting for the faith. This is the next part of the process. Contending. And sometimes it's years. Listen, some of us may never see revival. But we got to contend and prepare for it. The next phase is a shift in patterns. We develop holy patterns. If patterns in your life aren't contributing to your revival and renewal, they got to go. This is why we care a lot about rhythms and practices. We have to adopt new holy patterns, not patterns of society, patterns of the kingdom. Rhythms of grace that have been given to us. Tozer, again, says, It is useless for large companies of believers to spend long hours begging God to send revival Unless we, want, unless we intend to reform, we may as well not pray. Unless praying men have the insight and faith to amend their whole way of life to conform to the New Testament pattern, there can be no true revival. There's not going to be revival if your life looks exactly the same as it always has. There's got to be a hard change in our patterns. The next part of the process is a remnant is formed. A small group of people. You know, God always uses a handful, a family, the 12, a church, a remnant of people. Whatever's left over after the preparation phase. You know, there's a moment in John chapter 6 where I believe Jesus probably had hundreds if not thousands of disciples. And then he starts teaching on eating his flesh and drinking his blood and they all flee. Because they say it's a hard teaching. And then he looks at the disciples in this kind of persnickety way and goes, are you going to go too? The last few years has been a reckoning. Nominal believers are gone. We need a remnant of people contending for the faith. This whole like, eh, you know, I got a child. No, are you committed to the person of Jesus? Is he Lord and King? And are you seeking renewal and revival in every space of your life? Nominal Christianity is done. It's done. And then we move into renewal. Here's the problem. Most of us want to go from decline to renewal without everything in between. Many of us want to be part of the remnant without going through the preparation phase. Without contending. It's a slow process. Sayers goes on to say, at the heart of this process is God's desire to renew us in our life systems, to use his presence to align us with his purposes, and to release us into our God-given mandate for which he created us. So earlier in, in the teaching, we saw this promise from Isaiah 44, pour out your spirit, for I will pour out my spirit on dry and thirsty ground. And then we see the prayer of Habakkuk. That we've heard of your fame. We've heard of your good deeds. Renew them in our day. Repeat them in our time. In wrath, remember mercy. But what does renewal actually look like in terms of vision? In terms of society? I believe Ezekiel chapter 47 
provides us the greatest imagery of what renewal in society looks like. Ezekiel chapter 47. I'm actually not going to read it. It's about 14 verses. But I do have a nice picture on the screen for you to see it. In this vision, Ezekiel gets, he gets this picture of a restored temple after the temple's been destroyed. And it starts out by him seeing a trickle of water that comes out of the south side of the temple from the holiest of holies. And it goes further and further and widens and widens as it goes along and it turns itself into a river. It becomes a river to a point where it's impassable. Like you can't even pass the river about a mile, a mile and a half down. And it's flowing downhill from the temple into the Dead Sea. And along the riverbanks, there are these trees that the text says provide healing. The leaves provide healing and the fruit nourishment for the people or for that ecosystem. And it eventually dumps into the mouth of the Dead, uh, the dead Sea. And there's all of this, these fresh fish that are flowing. And it says that wherever the river flows, life flourishes. Now, in John chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus says, Whoever puts faith in me, just as the scripture has said, from deep within him streams of living water will flow. When Jesus is saying these words, I believe he is thinking about Ezekiel chapter 47. Because we are the temple of the Spirit now. And the river flows out from us. That river is the presence of God that brings new life and flourishing and healing into society. Renewal occurs wherever the river flows. Life flourishes. We desire to be a community. All of us. We desire, moving forward, and from the very beginning of our conception, to be a community that is planting and releasing life-giving. Keep in mind, the Spirit in us gives life. It's not just contained to us. Wherever you walk, wherever you go, every space you find yourself in, the Spirit in you wants to give life in that space. The light within you wants to shine in the darkness wherever you are. And we've always wanted to be a community that is planting and releasing life-giving people and ideas into the various sectors of society, of culture. Trees of quote-unquote healing, if you will. This is why we always talk about, if you have an idea for our city, if you have a dream, if you have something that breaks your heart, let's talk about it. Because I want to cultivate a space that you feel empowered and that you know your work matters. And that whatever you do is going to bring life and healing and renewal in a different space of society. So, to that end, anthropologists talk about seven cultural influences. Or the seven channels of cultural influences. And one of those is the church. The others are business, media, government, education, um, the nonprofit sector, arts, entertainment. My hope and my prayer is that we look at Ezekiel 47 as a theological vision for what renewal looks like in our city and how we can see renewal take place. But we have to have a life-giving presence in each of these sectors of society. It can't be hoarded inside of the four walls of the temple, so to speak. Does the organized liturgy take place? Yes. Are there practices in the temple? Yes. But ultimately, the Spirit of God, the river, flows out and into the ecosystem and into the economy and into the city and into the culture. And the church for too long has done a lot of really, 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 really good things, but it's been actually more like a lazy river that just goes around the temple. Wow. That's not the vision of renewal. That's a vision of a good time. 
not renewal. So here is a different picture using Ezekiel 47 as a framework to go off of. Of what spirit-flowing renewal looks like. Out of the organized church or the temple, so to speak, or the liturgy, we see the spirit flowing into all these channels within society. We want to plant these trees, plant people and ideas and even organizations into these different spaces. My hope and prayer and my desire for our community is we have something in each one of these spaces of life in society. This is why a few years ago, we felt the tug to buy a ministry house in the Glenwood neighborhood. Nikki Taylor was in our community, started getting a heartbeat for Glenwood. And we're like, oh, let's do something. Let us be a catalyst. Let us kind of prop you up. Let's get this thing going. So we buy a house in the Glenwood neighborhood and the Yellow Door House gets launched as this neighborhood development ministry. Yeah. It gets launched. We release it and say, it's yours. We just want to help you get started. That's renewal. A few years ago, we started to look for office space and crazy journey ended, us, ended up in us launching a coffee shop in downtown. I had no clue what we were doing. But I want to see renewal happen in our city. And three and a half years later, it's way more than I ever anticipated it being. To a point where, honestly, we can't even manage it. It's so much. It's crazy. The foundation's been laid. The culture's been established. It's a place of hospitality. It's a space of life. It's a space where people of all different backgrounds grab coffee and hang out and spend time together. It's a place where we're able to use coffee to help provide clean water all across the world. It's this holistic space in the, the business sector of our city creating renewal. But we've gotten to a place where we recognize that if we're going to see other renewal projects get launched in our city, what we actually have to do, to do is release it. We can't hold on to it. Because if we're going to have other ideas pop up in different spaces, we're going to have to have the margin as a community to see them launched. Western society says that good things you hold on to. The kingdom of God says good things you release. And so we were in the process over the next month where we were going to spin Union Coffee off independently as a flourishing business in our city, knowing that what we intended for it to be, it is. And it's opening up margin for us now to pursue other ideas, one of which hopefully at some point has to do with the resettlement of immigrants in our city, potentially around legal services. We want to see renewal happen, but we have to release things into the ecosystem, but we know that there's one single point of origin, and there's one river. But at some point, we have to let our hands off of one tree to go plant another tree. And we're in that season now. We're getting ready to move into a new church building. What an opportunity to be a good steward of that space into a neighborhood that represents people from all across the world. And God's already planting seeds of vision around immigration, and us being able to help and do things to help with folks who are um, not from here. And I'm thrilled about that. So these are examples. We send people in just a couple weeks. We are going to be sending someone in our community to Denver. Who God placed a burden on the person's heart for Denver, Colorado. And I know it's a beautiful place to visit. So let's just be honest. Like that's a good place to go with God's calling you there. You know? <laughs> it's like God's calling me to Miami. Yes, Lord. Thank you. Um, to go do ministry. To be on mission. We are sending people because we want to see renewal. I don't just want to see a church that's filled with nominal people. They get a hoorah when a good song comes on. Or because the message is good. 
I want to see renewal in our city. So this is why we are doing all of these things. Launching the Yellow Door House, sending people out into different cities. We launched Union, got it off the ground. Daniel Davidson does a killer job running that. We're giving him the opportunity to say, you know what? You might have not had this opportunity otherwise. We want to see you own this thing. You're doing it. You represent the culture that we want to create. Let's empower you to do it. Let's release it. Let's not hoard it. It's renewal in the ecosystem. We don't want to just have a lazy river around the temple. We just want to be the origin point, a catalyst, you might say, the launching pad. Joe Saxton says, our heart and communities carry a message of salvation that has transformed us and can transform our cities. We have been commissioned by a Savior whose love and power empowers us. So we press on, seeking fresh ways to share Jesus, not for the sake of something new, but for the sake of our communities and his glory. This is what we want to see happen in our city. And given the intensity of our time, we find ourselves in a space in history where we must burn the ships. There is no fleeing. It is die or it's revival. Survival won't cut it. Nominal Christianity won't cut it. Progressive Christianity won't cut it. Christian nationalism won't cut it. Government reform won't cut it. Flashing lights won't cut it. Large crowds won't cut it. Programs won't cut it. What is needed in our time and moment is a people who, like Habakkuk, have their holy discontent crystallized and are crying out to God for him to renew his work in our time and moment. That is what we are after and are seeking. I've gone a long time today. Do I have any more time? Yes, I do. It might seem like, friends, when we look around society, it might seem like the tide has gone out. It might feel like the tide has gone out, but guess what? Here's the crazy thing about tides. They always come back in. They always come back in. It might seem like there is nothing but embers left, but all it takes is a fresh wind of the Spirit to come through to set those embers ablaze again. But you know embers need each other to start a fire, and we need each other. This is why we do Renew once a month, which is coming up tomorrow night. It's a space for embers to come into the room and for the wind of the Spirit to set us ablaze together. William Seymour, who was the founder of modern Pentecostalism, who experienced the Azusa Street Revival in the early 1900s on Skid Row in Los Angeles, says, I can say through the power of the Spirit that wherever God can get a people that will come together in one accord and one mind in the Word of God, the baptism of the Holy Ghost will fall upon them. Are you willing to contend? Are you willing to prepare? To change your patterns, to change your habits, to repent. Because my fear, honestly, when I look at our community, 
is I don't know that we're hungry enough. And Isaiah makes it clear, the Lord makes it clear through Isaiah that he will only pour out his spirit on dry and thirsty ground. And I don't know that we're thirsty enough. Sometimes I don't know that I'm thirsty enough. But I'm asking us today, are we hungry? Are we thirsty for an outpouring of the Spirit? Because if we want to see revival, and the Lord knows we want to see people in our life who are broken get set free. People in our life who are demon-possessed be healed. People in our life who are um, depressed and, and anxious constantly see them experience freedom. But it's, it's going to take work. Christine Kane goes on to say, there's one way to spell revival. W-O-R-K. If you're not working for revival, it's not coming. It's not coming. We need hungry, prayerful, contending and obedient workers who want revival, who pray and obey, who preach and proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God. But my question to you today is, are you thirsty? Because God only pours out on the thirsty. Tozer says, revivals come only to those who want them badly enough. It may be said without qualification that every man is as holy and as full of the spirit as he wants to be. He may not be as full as he wishes he were, but he is most certainly as full as he wants to be. Josh said a couple weeks ago, the spirit only takes up the amount of real estate we give him. Nothing more. How open are you to revival in your own heart?